a reading from Fresh Hope. Hi, my name is Brad and I have bipolar disorder. And like you, there's so much more to me than an unwanted mental health diagnosis. I'm a loving husband to the strongest, most loving wife a man could ever ask for, a father to great adult children and a papa to two of the most wonderful grandchildren in the world. I'm a musician. I'm creative, intuitive, with solid leadership skills. I'm an artist. I'm a follower of Jesus, and I'm a pastor. I have what some call a mental illness. It is part of me, but it is not all of me. However, I am not my diagnosis. I will not allow others to minimize me to a diagnosis or marginalize me because of the label of bipolar. I didn't ask for it. I didn't seek it out. It's not a character flaw, nor is it a moral issue. And it's not a spiritual faith issue. I can choose to let it define me, confine me, refine me, outshine me, or I can choose to move on and leave it behind me. Today, it's a small part of my life, yet I know all too well that bipolar disorder or any mental health issue left untreated can easily destroy your entire life. I know that because prior to 1995, this disorder was beginning to destroy every part of my life. But today, I have fresh hope. Sometimes the story we tell ourselves is not really true. Sometimes the story others tell about us is not really true. Here on today's Heart Lift with Janelle, we are going to learn how to rewrite our story. So pick up your favorite pen and journal, grab a cup of something delicious, and start your heart-lifting journey towards living a meaningful life. Heartlifters, welcome to today's Heartlift with Janelle. I'm excited to bring to you today Pastor Brad Hafes. Pastor Brad is the author of Holding to Hope, along with his wife, Staying Sane While Loving Someone with a Mental Illness. He's been a pastor since 1985. He's an international speaker and a mental health advocate, and he's also the founder and executive director of Fresh Hope. We'll be talking about that today. An international network of peer-to-peer Christian mental health support groups and resources. Well, Pastor Brad, or I'm just going to call you Brad for today, it is just so wonderful to finally connect with you. We've been trying uh, for quite some time here, and here we are. So I am so intrigued and interested for my heartlifters in this audience and in our community to know your story, Brad, because I think it is a critical one. Um, if you would, I know they already know what you do. You are the founder of Fresh Hope and you've written this beautiful book with your wife, whose birthday is actually today, the day of taping. Um, but please, if you would, well, first of all, welcome. And Thank second, you. yes, great, if you would. Great to have you. Or so, great to be with you. I mean. <laughs> okay, drink your coffee. Drink your coffee. Yeah, it's yeah, early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's early where you are. Um, 
your story is one that is quite powerful. I work a lot with family systems and I'm getting more definitive in my my clarity on working with family systems. Um, so your story probably started a long, long time ago, but you, you really say in 1995. So please share with us your heart, your story. And, um, we are just so eager to learn from you. Great. Well, thank you for having me. I'm, I am glad to be here and I guess I'm on my first cup of coffee. (laughs) Um, so In 1995, prior to May of that year, I was pastoring the 13th fastest growing Protestant church in North America. And um, crazy. I had no clue that I was, in fact, suffering from bipolar disorder, had no clue at all. Um, My father had uh, bipolar, and uh, my mother in law had died by suicide. Oh, uh, uh, several years before this. Wow. So it, but they both had the depressive side and mm. I had never had a depressed day in my life. Mm. And so I, what happened was I, um, was the, the church was moving and relocating and we had gone from 800 to 3000 and more in wow. worship we had 800 new visitors the first Sunday of the new building. And wow. We had had to fight the city in mm. regards to getting it off that property, off the tax rolls and for use for a church. Well, anyway, um, long story short, um, I had been to Africa mm. and I, I was just not doing well. My wife mm-hmm. had asked, uh, people to help me. Um, We didn't know what was wrong. And I felt like I had a monster inside of me. Mm, You write a lot about that. It's beautiful how you write about that. Yeah, just was pushing me from the inside out. Mm. And um, I would, I, I would drive like a crazy man on uh, dirt gravel roads where Mm. I go 70 miles an hour on these hilly roads at nighttime and turn off my car lights and open my car door and stick my foot out. And I would do anything that seemed like a huge, huge, huge risk. Mm. Believing I I could jump off the envelope. Mm -hmm. Why? I mean, it was like, when I think about it now, I think, wow, why didn't I realize? Um, Sure. And I just thought I had surge, a constant surge of energy that I could not manage. And so it had to be relieved in ways that were crazy and bizarre. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I thought I was just overstressed. But how old were you at that time? Can I ask? Yeah. Pardon? How old were you at that time? I was 36, 36 okay. or 37. Okay. Um, yeah. And so you're thinking you're just overstressed. You've got this huge burgeoning ministry going on. You've just returned right. from, I'm guessing, a mission trip or maybe. Yes. Yeah. 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 And um, like one day I was unbuttoning my shirt and it was just taking too long. So I just popped all the buttons off and took it off. And um, mm-hmm. I mean, just irrational. Yep. Yep. Yeah. But I could function. Sure. Um, I'd be in the workplace, uh, but I drove everybody crazy because I was talking fast and 
you know, I would get mm-hmm. agitated with them if they couldn't keep up and they didn't understand or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so um, I ended up ha- stopping at a place thinking I was going to the bathroom. I was accused of something else by an mm-hmm. undercover officer. Um, I have no clue today. I, I've mm-hmm. paid the price many times over for it. It was a $50 fine. It was a misdemeanor, but mm-hmm. a pastor, yeah. something like that. And I shouldn't have been there. I mean, mm-hmm. it was 920 at night, and um, but I was headed out to those roads. Uh, right. Where I was headed. And um, so I ended up, it was in the news for 18 months. Uh, long story short, oh, it was no. extremely painful. Um Mm-hmm. Just we were left alone and we were bleeding to death, uh, sure. so to speak, emotionally. And mm-hmm. finally, they they agreed to pay for me going to the hospital and cover mm-hmm. those costs. They were trying to get me to resign prior to that, but mm-hmm. telling people that they're telling people the opposite of what they were doing behind the scenes. Well, anyway, mm-hmm. sure. That would involve, I would think, a lot of like church government, church politics. All oh, of the yeah, yeah, sure. yeah, 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 yeah. I get today that. I'm, today, I'm reconciled with all those people. Fabulous. It's, Beautiful. it's great. Not a problem. But we all did the best we could, and it wasn't good enough, you know. All sure. Well, we're thinking it's 1995. So even at yes. that point, I understand, you yep. know, that people really the church really wasn't embracing mental health issues oh, no, no, <laughs> not no, at no. all i i i trust me i i've been there and done that and yeah. had my own you know issues and was scathingly told you know you can't take a ssd you know ri you can't take prozac you can't do these things so yes we've right. come we've come a ways <laughs> we have a long way to go, but let's yeah. just remember we're framing this at a time in 1995 when particularly a ministerial staff, oh, yeah. you know, that no, no. Well, and everything had been on the news, everything, sure. um, right? you know, and it was continually on the news. And mm. so fortunately, yeah, I had uh, now you have to understand, I went from this manic episode to absolutely suicidal mm-hmm. and they, they weren't leaving me alone um mm-hmm. i would hide in our closet wrapped up in a ball uh yeah. no lights on um when I, I i did not feel safe i got agoraphobic i wouldn't go out of the house um, yeah. i was traumatized by the news mm-hmm. uh, even the sound of the music coming on and anyway yeah we um can i interrupt going, just for a sec yeah, sure because um, prior to this, were, were was there any indication? Just because I know that many of us uh, have family members or friends or people in our small groups or life groups or mm-hmm. that are that perhaps are are showing signs of bipolar or borderline or some other thing you know right. how had you shown any indication of that or you were oh, just fine oh, yeah. and then one day it flipped the switch no. and it showed up no yeah well it, we knew something was wrong we just didn't it, mm-hmm. everybody thought maybe i was burned out i think sure 
that I was worn out. Um, but in the church, people were benefiting from all this energy. Sure. Uh, and um, <laughs> yeah, there was a point, I think, at which we mm. asked for help. And it was like, you know, I asked the, the associate pastor, or I told him, I said, I, there's something wrong with me. Right. And I don't know what it is. Oh, so, that's so powerful. But no, nobody knew what to do. And no. we never, ever, my wife nor I ever thought it could have mm-hmm. been bipolar because right. I didn't act at all like my mother-in-law or my dad. Over the dad. only people you had known, perhaps. Yeah. Right. There's not a lot of education at this point. No, Absolutely. No. Yeah. yeah, there was not. No. And, um So Heartlifters, I just want to take this brief moment as a teaching moment, a lean-in time, because a huge initiative of today's Heartlift is to bridge this gap, to bring a wholehearted initiative of integrating faith, our journey on this planet, walking and following Jesus with understanding emotional and mental health. This is still an area within the body of Christ that needs development, education, empowerment. And so I wanted to read this short excerpt from Brad's book. It's section two. Okay, I'm not okay. Sometimes we aren't ready to admit we're not okay until the disorder causes a major disruption in our lives. A person with bipolar disorder may have some impulsive, risk-taking behavior and end up encountering the law. A person with depression may spend too many days in bed and end up losing his or her job. A person with social anxiety may be so fearful of large groups he or she misses special family events. Some people will not admit they aren't okay until their lives become totally disrupted. I know because that's what happened to me. He continues, for a number of years, I knew something was wrong with me. I wasn't sure what it was. I knew that I struggled with an emotional intensity not experienced by the average person. I knew I could get more work done by staying up for five straight days than most people could do in a month. I knew I could feel wired up with boundless energy, yet feel depressed inside. Even so, it took an encounter with the law during a manic episode to convince me I really was not Okay. Naming the monster. When I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, I was relieved, even thrilled, that the monster I had lived with and tried to control for so long had a name. You see, until then, I'd been worried the doctors and therapists would discover that I was the monster. Naming the monster brought so much relief. It was the underlying reason for the trail of broken trust, damaged relationships, unexplainable behavior, and humiliating circumstances. I didn't want my life to become unmanageable and hopeless. I didn't want to hurt my family or leave a path of destruction behind me. I didn't choose this disorder. It chose me. No, it wasn't an excuse for what happened. I love that Brad writes this so honestly. It wasn't an excuse for what happened. Rather, it was an explanation of what was wrong with me. It was an explanation for my behavior. Finally, he writes, there was hope. 
The good news was that I wasn't the monster. After this good news, he writes of being diagnosed with this mental disorder, bipolar disorder. The task was to discover the nature of the beast. If I was going to have victory over the monster, I needed to understand it. And that's why we're here, Heartlifters. That's why we exist to have these tough conversations, to bring them to the table on how we can perhaps help those sitting in the pews, sitting in our small groups, our life groups, our neighbors, our friends, even beyond the walls of the church. How can we arm ourselves? How can we educate and empower ourselves to understand more about mental and emotional health? My gosh, we spend gazillions on understanding and keeping our physical health and our exercise programs, our diet regimes. It is the time now to give as much time and attention to mental and emotional health and how that relates to our faith. So any looking back on it now, though, mm-hmm. I was suffering from it from probably my um, early 20s. Right. I was going to say we that's were, usually when it shows up, right? That's the yeah. typical. Yeah. But it was not severe. It yeah. Was, the manic, um, right. I had. Um, Give us some indication of what that is just to help inform sure, someone what sure. that might look like in the early 20s if if you're yep. starting to show. Yeah. I had up to the, up to, we were married. And so mm-hmm. I was 21, 22. Up to that point, I was always a very upbeat, kind of hypomanic personality. Okay. And, um, you know, I've read some where they <laughs> believe that people do have, the, that many of the CEOs in this country live with hypomania. Yes. Uh, but they don't. Lots of energy, lots of high functioning. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And so um, I had that. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we were trying to have a baby. Mm-hmm. And um, I had a low sperm count. And mm-hmm. the doctor gave me rounds and rounds of steroids. Oh, boy. Yes. I took steroids for several months. Sure. Yes. And wow. <laughs> when we look back, when mm-hmm. I look at it chronologically, that was the beginning of the perfect storm. Yeah, that was an impetus, right? Sure. That, that messed up the stabilized the stabilization of my mood. And yeah. we can document through the seminary and those years that followed mm-hmm. that I started to have more and more. And the more stress I was under. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So we always related it to stress. Now, yeah, looking back on it, I also did not have great emotional regulation, though, either. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, or I, emotional intelligence, I would gather. Right. You know, I just didn't. My EQ was low. Right. Um, of course. And, uh, <laughs> uh, so we thought it was more emotional issues, you know, that kind of thing. It presents that way though, doesn't it? It really does present that way. And if you don't have in the church, if the church is deficient, which is what you're pounding the table over now, what I'm pounding the table over is to integrate faith and mental health and, you know, bring conversations to the table. So, but if, if, if that's not there, if that's not present, 
you, you name it in your book, you name it in your, on your website, in your ministry, you know, you're either aggressive or you're crazy or you're. And a lot of people think, um, you know, um, even what they knew about it, you know, manic, um, they think, Mm. and I find, I talk to a lot of medical students. Uh, I, they have me speak and talk about bipolar disorder with the psychiatric med students and beautiful. Oh, I'm so I, glad you're doing that. Well, I tell them, you you see this list of words in the DSM and mm-hmm. all of that kind of stuff, and it's all described. And so they think, well, he, he or she hasn't acted this way or this way or this way. Mm-hmm. And I said, just think of mania as being this surge of energy that you have. Mm-hmm. It, it's just A tsunami of energy from what energy. I've been told. Yeah. Yeah. And lots of people, and I find that bipolar type two mm. is missed a lot. Mm-hmm. They years people take antidepressants. And I met a psychiatrist who w- spoke on a platform with me years ago. And he said, if you're on antidepressants and they have not worked mm. and you've done this for years, they should be working. And he said, if yeah. they're not, you need to think about bipolar type two, take a mood stabilizer and you'll be better. And we've found that with people in our groups. Oh, uh, that's so good. Such good advice. It, it always presents as uh, untreatable depression. Now, mm-hmm. certainly there is untreatable depression, I'm told. But sure. And my, my experience tells me uh, a triad mood stabilizer at least. At see. least try, right? Yeah. Right. So, and that yeah. that's not a sinful act. <laughs> yeah, and nor I shameful, want, right? Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. And you know, now I know today that one of the problems in the Christian church is we always believe behavior is a choice. We do. You're. So, and, thank and, you for saying this and bringing this to the conversation. Yes, it cannot. We. Mm-hmm. We do not understand that there are things that can be wrong with the brain that cause people to do things that are bizarre Mm -hmm. and not of that person's core being or anything like that. So um, I know now that when a bipolar person is untreated, they, their impulse center of their brain does not work properly. Right. So they will act on impulses that they didn't even know they had. Okay, Heartlifters, teaching moment number two. Brad writes this, the bottom line that everyone must understand is this, mood disorders involve the improper functioning of the brain. The brain is an organ, just like your heart or kidneys. Mood disorders are a biological medical problem, a disease of the brain. Mood disorders are not due to a lack of self-control or spiritual weakness. Please, I'm going to repeat that. Mood disorders are not due to a lack of self-control or spiritual weakness, but a mood disorder will affect one's behavior and is the explanation for your behavior. However, there will be people who insist you are making excuses for your behavior. 
Remember the difference between an excuse and an explanation is scientific proof. And there's plenty of scientific information available. He continues, one last thing I want to mention regarding diagnosis is that sometimes there is no conclusive diagnosis. You might be told you have some components of anxiety or mixed moods or a type of mood disorder, but it may not be specific. This is perfectly reasonable as your recovery will focus on the symptoms, not the diagnosis. Your doctor will consider medications that address your symptoms and your therapy will address the behavioral areas in which you want to improve. Also, the diagnosis you receive may vary from one professional to another. That's perfectly reasonable. Your diagnosis could vary depending on your current mood and the treatments and therapies you're using, what's going on in your life, or how you describe your symptoms. I add, that's very important. As we will discuss later in the book, you don't want to get hung up on the label. I can't, I add here with such emphasis. The important thing is that you realize something is wrong, which keeps you from getting better. You admit you're not okay whatever that means. And I think I, I think that's what I want most to come through at this point. If something's resonating with you here, if you've been noticing, I just don't feel right, there's something wrong, trust the gut, trust your gut. We have such strong mind-body connections. And don't pray it away, don't stay away from it, don't be afraid of it. We have come so far in our capacity as counselors, therapists, life coaches, mental health professionals. And hopefully as we broaden the conversation, there will be men and women in our churches that are able to be fully equipped with trauma-informed strategic methodologies and understandings to be able to then integrate those with our spiritual journey towards living fully in Christ. This is an exciting time to be a part of this conversation. Let's continue. Much less. Okay, so I tell people, think of it this way. If my mom, and this is true, my mom has a, I I guess you'd call it a form of dementia, but her arteries Mm -hmm. in her brain are hardening in the center part and it's causing all kinds of issues. So yeah. She, my dad had, my dad's been gone for five years mm-hmm. and um, she, we were having a birthday party for her this year. And she looked at me and she said, did anybody think to invite your dad to this? Oh, yes. And yes. I, I said, mom, dad's been gone for five years. Oh yeah. I knew that. Okay. Uh-huh. Now yeah. I conceptually <laughs> understand something's going on with her brain. I give right. her grace. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't make, you know, I don't, don't make fun of her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't think, well, what the heck's wrong with you? Woman? Get with it, mom. Right. Yeah. And, um, or if, if somebody has a brain tumor and they start acting strange yes. or somebody has Tourette's, we understand, yes. we understand so much of that, but the idea that there can be something that nobody can see, see going on mm-hmm. and all that. Listen, I believe that what I, all my behaviors that Mm -hmm. went on that were really wrong and bad and hurt Mm -hmm. people and hurt me and hurt others, I take full responsibility Mm -hmm. for them. But the 
explanation mm-hmm. of why yeah. I want people to know it wasn't a choice. Yes, that's, um, a, that's it, so good and so much the needed. Choi- the choices that I should have made were in my moments of clarity. I should mm-hmm. have gotten help before it crashing mm-hmm. and burning, but I didn't. And um well, I don't think, I mean, it's not excusing behavior. And I always say that here, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a lack of training. It's a lack of information. It's, you know, if that's not available to you, well, like today, and- yeah, today I'm like, we have and our fingertips, Dr. Google, which, you know, you don't want to go yeah. down that road yeah. very much, yeah. but you can at least go, Ooh, I have some of these things going on. Yeah. 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 And the thing is, is that pastors, and mm-hmm. I've been a pastor for 38 years. Yeah. People who have been trained in theology, mm-hmm. there is no framework for mental no. illness in theology. No, uh, not at all. We we do not understand. I think all of this is a result of the brokenness of mankind. It is a yes. result of original sin, yes. And there are behaviors and there's sinful things people do that sometimes they really didn't even consciously choose to do or yeah. even knew that they were doing. And right. it's because their brain is broken. That's right. Yeah, I agree. So when it, once again, it's not, um, it's not excusable. But to me, what is inexcusable is what your brain does. And the brain, yeah, it's inexcusable to not know that today. It it really is. And it's abusive to people with mental illness. I really agree. I just think it's, um, you know, it's such a difficult passage. I I spoke to you before, um, you know, you had interviewed Naomi Judd, and I have been out of the country for six weeks in uh, South America. And so had been very, very disconnected. And when I got back and found out her story, and then when I knew I was going to be talking to you and I saw that you had interviewed her, I mean, yet again, just another sense of helplessness, right? Or a sense Absolutely. of, yeah. Well, and, and she was so fragile. So um, fragile, right. And um, the, but, and in that case, part of her perfect storm in her life for mental illness to reel out of control was that she had a huge amount of trauma as mm-hmm. as a child, as a child, as oh, well yeah. as a young adult, and throughout life. Yeah, and your interview is incredible with her. I'm so thankful well, you have that. Yeah, it's it's like I I just felt such pain for her because mm-hmm. trauma, yes. um, unresolved heart wounds, um, yes. stress. I can't, stress. I cannot stress enough about stress. People. I know. I um, please. I love yeah. it. It's what we do here. It's what we're trying to make an increase in awareness of, you yes. know, all those things begin. And then if you have the, if you have the genetics yes, and you're predisposed towards it, mm-hmm. it's so it, the perfect storm comes into play and then suddenly it's unleashed. Heartlifters, I didn't intend to stop our conversation midway here, but this is a lot of content, and I think it is critically important that we give it its room to breathe, so you say. 
I wanted to just give a couple um, further explanations of some of the things Brad was talking about in this part one. One is hypomania. So what is this hypomania that he said he he was starting to exhibit and why the people around him, his staff, uh, were they were just like, wow, he's a hard worker. He's just a workaholic or he's just got so much energy. Well, hypomania is a condition in which you display a revved up energy or activity level or a revved up mood or a revved up behavior. People will say, oh, wow, who is this new energized you? You're like the energizer bunny. It's a less severe form of mania, but both are common to bipolar. So I, I really wanted to distinguish as well, just to give a full understanding. Trust me here. This is a disclaimer I am making. I am not a psychiatrist, nor am I a licensed clinical psychologist in no way, shape, or form. I don't pretend to be one. I just want to give information and educate and help us perhaps understand a little bit more this thing this stigma or this disorder called bipolar. There is a bipolar one, which has more severe mania. This has an onset of maybe anywhere from age 12 to 24. That's why when Brad started mentioning, ah, in my early 20s, it was like, yep, yep, that makes sense. Uh, There are periods of severe mood episodes from mania to depression, but bipolar one will have more severe mania on 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 an average. Remember, this is also a very broad spectrum here. Bipolar 2, you will be a little older, typically presenting with this. It's a milder form of mood elevation, including milder episodes of the hypomania with alternate periods of severe depression. So a little less mania, more depression. I will give you a list of symptoms on our show notes and give you some beautiful links where you can learn and study more. But I just wanted to take a moment uh, as we've been talking about, you know, something very, very serious and end with a time to catch our breath, a grounding. Because it's so important, so, so important in this age of overwhelm to be able to have tools in our pocket to ground ourselves. And I had a client the other day say, what does that actually even mean? Grounding means where you just take a break, you take a pause, you feel the earth beneath your feet, you go out and hug a tree, you go outside, you look outside as Laura Vandernoot Lipsky encouraged us to do so that we we can stabilize and metabolize any hypo, hyponess, hyperness inside of our nervous system so we can bring it to a state of equanimity. I want to read this beautiful piece. I'm not reading all of it. I'm just reading an excerpt from Irish poet David White's Rest. And it's from his book, Consolations. Rest is the conversation between what we love to do and how we love to be. Rest is the essence of giving and receiving, an act of remembering imaginatively and intellectually, but also psychologically and physically. To rest is to give up on the already exhausted will as the prime motivator of endeavor with its endless outward need to reward itself through established goals. 
To rest is to give up on worrying and fretting and the sense that there is something wrong with the world unless we are there to put it right. To rest is to fall back, literally or figuratively, from outer targets and shift the goal not to an inner static bullseye, an imagined state of perfect stillness, but to an inner state of natural exchange. The template of rest is the natural exchange of the body breathing, the autonomic giving and receiving that forms the basis and the measure of life itself. We are rested when we are a living exchange between what lies inside and what lies outside. When we are an intriguing conversation between the potential that lies in our imagination and the possibilities for making that internal image real in the world. We are rested when we let things alone and let ourselves alone to do what we do best, breathe as the body intended us to breathe, to walk as we were meant to walk, to live with the rhythm of a house and a home, giving and taking through cooking and cleaning. When we give and take in an easy foundational way, we are closest to the authentic self and closest to that authentic self when we are most rested. To rest is not self-indulgent. To rest is to prepare to give the best of ourselves. To rest is to prepare to give the best of ourselves. And to perhaps most importantly, arrive at a place where we are able to understand what we have already been given. Thanks for listening today. It was great having you here. For even more great content and resources, please join the Stronger Everyday online community at JanelleRairdon.com. Always remember, you, my friend, have value, worth, and dignity.